Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special holiday-themed preamble for Electric Liberty Land, episode number 154. And that is so I can tell you about our very special holiday deal in which you can not only tell the state to screw itself, but also do it in a festive environment. Yes, it's our Merry Taxation is Death mug written to the state from your friends at Lions of Liberty. It's a beautiful mug. It's got like a little, you know, Christmas tag on the front. And on the other side, a Lions of Liberty logo with a Santa hat. What's not to love this festive season? And also, we're also doing beanies with our Santa hat logo on it. Now, you can get in anybody that signs up on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. At $10 gets a free mug. If you sign up at $15, you get a mug and a hat. But that's not all. Because there's some for people that want to sign up at $5 too, guys. And above that. It is a raffle that we're doing. So if you're at $5, you get one raffle ticket for the prize pack, which is a mug, a hoodie, a hat, and a five-pound bag of our Lions of Liberty Morning Roar coffee. We're going to be auctioning that. Well, not auctioning, uh, raffling that off. So at 5 bucks, you get one ticket. You get $10, two tickets, $50, three tickets, $25 a month, five tickets, $50 a month, 10 tickets and if you want to jump in for $100 a month, as I would strongly recommend, 20 tickets for a raffle. So guys, go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, get your holiday spirit on, and give us some money at the same damn time. All right. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and Liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. We used to be four ordinary teenagers until one day we met some new friends from out of town. They were called Dinosaurs. My friends and I became the secret scouts, allies to these dinosaurs from outer space, and joined in their battles against Genghis Rex and the evil Tyrannos. The dinosaurs are leaving, Bossasaur! Well, follow them! Oh, baby, you guys, where are my 80s kids at? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land Dinosaurs. Oh, God, it's so good, man. <laughs> I remember loving that cartoon growing up. Oh, boy. I don't know how many seasons it went on. Probably like two. <laughs> you can tell from that intro. You know, probably had a very niche audience, but I was a proud member. Anyway, welcome to Electric Liberty Land episode number 154, everybody. Meaning you could go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL154 for all of today's show notes. Man, dinosaurs is awesome. It kind of reminds you of the way politics is happening today, though. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll get back around to this, but you know, the Democrats introduced articles of impeachment today. It's the goddamn, it's the goddamn stupidest thing, the stupidest thing, but we'll get back to that. But it does seem like 
you know, politics today, they're trying to paint each other as the dinosaurs versus the whatever the fuck uh, monsters, the Tyrannosaurs. I, I can't even remember. I just played it. I already forgot what it was. Had a long day. But uh, just like painting them as these evil scumbags of the earth, you know, like Stephen Miller is the little ankylosaurus. Uh, well, you, you couldn't see it, but that character that was like, oh, no, boss. That was an ankylosaurus. The most dirty of the dinosaurs. Ugh. Who would want a fucking ankylosaurus? Can I ask you that? Who? How does another, how does one ankylosaurus want to fuck the other one? Do they go by tail bump size? Is that like dropping big dong? And who's to say, who's to say? Somebody out there, paleontologist, can you give me some insight here? But as I said, I've had a very long day uh, for a good reason though. Unlike most of my life where I don't have to work exceptionally hard. Today I did. Uh, last few days, actually, because my one of my nonprofit clients in my public relations career, a fantastic organization, highly recommend everybody checks it out, CASA, which has uh, all over the place, just a, a ton of branches in different counties, but they work with foster children. You can go to uh, casaforchildren.org, find out where your local one is. But I work with CASA of Los Angeles and hosted a press conference. You have not done many of these typically because unless you're a, a, a big organization, unless you're doing politics, you typically don't host press conferences. They're difficult to get people to. Uh, it's got to be something that's really interesting, really important. And this organization has been a, a passion project for me for a long time. I've worked with them for like eight years and a tough one to get attention for because in LA, they're called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates, but CASA in Los Angeles, a giant Latino market, you know, it doesn't quite mean the same thing as everywhere else in the country. So anyway, I just been busting my tail, had this press conference today at noon, got every news station in Los Angeles, which is, I can't even tell you how hard to do unless somebody got shot while on fire, while on meth, while holding a bear cub, while hitting a home run for the Dodgers. That's the only way you get it. But you know what? I fucking did it. So there you go. Thanks, world. Huh. The downside of that is that I am underprepared. I was going to do a song today. I was going to do, a, I think, a version of the Christmas song is what I had in mind, which is, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. So that'll have to wait. Hopefully circle back with that next week. But I didn't want to leave you hanging. Thus, I gave you guys a little shot of my past. One of the greatest theme songs ever written for a cartoon in Dinosaurs. So you are welcome out there. Now, circling back to the, the, this whole impeachment thing, it is just ridiculous that these Democrats have gone through with this, considering the fact that when they started the impeachment proceedings, I think something like 57% of the people said, okay, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, go ahead and explore it. Every single week that this thing has gone on, without fail, every single week it's dropped precipitously to the point now where most people disapprove of it. Independents are the most strongly disapproving of it. Uh, you think, you know, well, at least as far as change wise, the GOP people, obviously the conservatives always uh, disapproved of it. Libertarians. <laughs> I know we're kind of split on it. A lot of people say, well, impeach him. You know, I take the Ron Paul tact in this when Bill Clinton was getting impeached. Ron Paul was like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can impeach him. Uh, fine. But impeach him over the right things. Don't impeach him over this horse shit about lying to Congress over a blowjob. And I even, man, I was a, I, I can't remember how old I was at the time when this was happening. It's got to be, maybe I was 10 or 12 or 14. I, I can't remember. But 
I remember watching the season as a youngin and being like, who fucking cares? Why is this news? Who cares? I don't give a shit if the president got a blowjob. Why would anybody care? I mean, I, I'm sorry. His If he cheats on his wife with a harem of women, as long as he's running the country, who gives a shit? I mean, I'm sorry. Is there something in the Constitution that says that you have to be chased, that you must not fool around, that you can't get a beejer here and there, a little handy J? I'm sorry, but I don't believe there is. The framers of the Constitution, I think, probably were uh, quite quite adept at uh, getting their rocks off, to put it delicately. And I won't even go into which ways they go about it, because obviously we know that some of them partook of their own slaves, uh, which is probably not ideal. But that being said, I don't care uh, if a, a president is getting a blowjob and getting impeached. And, and similarly, Donald Trump getting impeached over this is, is ridiculous. I'll say it for the third time. And, and I've seen more people pick up on this, this theme I laid down over a month ago on this show, that it's insane to argue that a president can investigate a political rival because that simply gives that political rival a get-out-of-jail-free card. No matter what you might do, if Joe Biden continues to run for some sort of political office forever, he will never be allowed, according to the media and according to the Democrats, to ever have any sort of investigation move forward on this Hunter Biden bullshit. And of course, at the same time that we're seeing these articles of impeachment introduced, which assuredly will pass the House, and then assuredly not pass the Senate, but we're also having the release of the... the uh, Inspector General's investigation of the whole Trump collusion background of the FBI and how they got the warrant to spy on Carter Page. They finally released that investigation. And shockingly, it said, oh, well, the FBI was totally, totally warranted in investigating Carter Page. Okay, fine, right? So they say they, the reasoning behind it was sound. However, within the report itself, we find that the FBI had quite a few abuses in regards to how they went about getting the FISA warrants, how they went about re-approving the FISA warrants. And I'm going to talk about this a little later in the show as well. It also reveals during the course of this that Hillary Clinton colluded with a foreign entity, of course, with Christopher Steele, who put together this, uh, this report on Donald Trump, which the FBI knew was nonsense and did not tell him, which is probably why Trump fired Comey, because he could tell he was trying to be shaken down by the FBI. But it reveals quite clearly that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign paid a foreign national that was involved with a state government at one point, which Christopher Stewart was involved with the UK's uh, spying apparatus, paid this man to interfere in an election by collecting a dossier of solicitous or uh, salacious materials and then paid him specifically to leak them to the media. Yet we have this whole rump a dump dump with, uh, with uh, Mueller and the Mueller report costing us over two or no, $23 million that took two years investigating a collusion narrative that never existed started by this nonsense and fanning the flames by virtue of this ongoing nonsense. And yet, when Donald Trump dares to ask the Ukrainian president to look into the possible Ukrainian involvement in pushing this forward, because the Ukrainians were pushing for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump at the time, that was a different uh, regime, because that obviously had changed with the election of the new president, the comedian president. Uh, but why would you not want to look into that if you're the president of the United States? Find out what exactly went on with the meddling. Find out why it happened, what effect it had. I don't see anything wrong in asking that. 
And on top of that, I don't find anything wrong in asking about shady shit between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. But yet that is what we're being told is the impetus for this impeachment. We're being told it was a, <laughs> an abuse of power, <laughs> which when you stop and think about it, is one of the funniest things you can impeach a president for. Number one, just based upon the simple fact that every single person in politics, with exception to the great Ron Paul, maybe his son, but very few others, got into politics because they wanted to be more powerful. Very few of these people came from backgrounds where they just, you know, they were rich and famous and they had everything they wanted in life. I mean, that's where Trump, oddly enough, is, <laughs> is on the outside in that he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the power. He had it. Now, granted, I still think Trump wanted the power. And I still think that a, a part of him wanted to show Obama that he would get elected directly after him after Obama went after him at the, uh, what was it, the White House Correspondents Dinner, I think. <laughs> Obama took a shot at Trump because of the birtherism stuff. And Trump was like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to teach you something, Barack. And then when he became president, I swear to God, that was the, the entire impetus for his running. But to say that a president abused power, and that is why they're impeaching him is just ridiculous. We see politicians, just by nature of the position, most of these people are abusing their power. By virtue of abdicating the responsibility for control of our military, which Congress has done repeatedly and refused to uphold their duty as arbitrators or arbiters of who we go to war with, why we go to war, and instead of abdicating that responsibility to allow the president, and of course, we just had the Patriot Act re-invoked. We just had the, you know, the, the USA Freedom Act out there. We've got all of these articles that allow this extension of war powers and allow the president to declare, well, not to declare, to go to war without an official declaration. I'm sorry, isn't that an abuse of power? Because we've allowed the last several presidents to abuse that power, and Congress is content to roll over on their backs and have their bellies scratched instead of fighting against it. But now you're going to tell me <laughs> that obstruction of Congress, which I, I, I again, I haven't read this this report, guys. I am I'm reading reviews of it. I'm reading uh, I'm reading little snippets of this report because I have, haven't had the chance to go through it. It came out today, but I feel I have to talk about it. So I'm giving you my my broad view. But to say that because of this alleged quid pro quo, which despite the fact the Ukrainian president said there was no quid pro quo, despite the fact that their investigation has found and indicted Hunter Biden for taking money from the government uh, and in his involvement with this uh, Burisma oil company or gas company, they're saying that this quid pro quo <laughs> counts as obstruction and abuse of power. I just, I, I don't understand where the logic disconnect is with these people. You've got every day candidates uh, for president, people that were high up, the Hillary Clintons of the world, the Bill Clintons of the world, you know, the Clinton Global Foundation, for fuck's sake, taking in millions, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, peddling state influence. Nobody bats an eye. They want to take Bill Clinton down because of a blowjob. They don't even want to investigate Hillary Clinton. They just let her skate away, even though the Clinton Global Initiative now has pulled in something like, I don't know, $3 million this year. I mean, it's literally 10% of what they had been pulling in when Hillary Clinton was secretary of state for obvious reasons. You can't peddle influence if you lost a fucking election and all you do now is whine about it and write several books about it and go on and, and call Tulsi Gabbard a Russian asset <laughs> and whine about it even more and go after Bernie Sanders now because Bernie Sanders didn't, didn't uh, endorse Hillary Clinton. 
This the what was me tour. But you're telling me these aren't abuses of power? But yet a phone call asking someone to investigate something under the guise that it would theoretically be withholding funding for the Ukraine, war funding, by the way, you know, aid that would go to war funding against our, our, for some reason, is still our enemy, Russia, despite the fact that Russia really holds very little threat to us. But that it would hold funding from Ukraine that they didn't know about because nobody on Ukraine's side realized that this was being withheld. And eventually it was paid anyway before they realized. So nothing was actually withheld. But under the, the alleged quid pro quo threat that they had to investigate Hillary Clinton, that they had to go and look into the, the Russian meddling. Uh, otherwise, this would somehow not come through. None of this holds up under scrutiny. All of the testifiers in this impeachment hearing that were supposed whistleblowers said that they heard it secondhand. So they didn't even hear any of these things firsthand. Trump released the goddamn transcript from his call with the president. I mean, I, none of this shit makes any sense. All of it is pure political theater. And everybody in the country can see that other than the most rabid, progressive assholes who just hate Trump and nothing that, that nothing any report would say would clear them of that knowledge or that, that uh, pure foregone conclusion. You know, it's like you open the first page of the book. They know what the last page says. It doesn't matter anymore. And maybe there's a bookmark in there that says fuck Trump that they get a giggle about. You know, that, that's, a, that's all these people read the report for. So this was a absolutely boneheaded move by the Democrats. Adam Schiff has run this like a complete clown. Who is, who is the other guy? Uh, Nadler, another, another pure clown, this fat sack of shit sitting up there. It is despicable to watch. And while I'm not a fan of our political system in general, as I'm sure many of you aren't, and I don't want to be governed by anybody, frankly. For the average everyday person to look upon the people that have been given the responsibility, elected into office by people thinking that they're going to go out there and they're going to look out for their constituents, that they're going to go out and look for the, the greater good of the country. They're going to look out for you know, what's going to help their economy, what's going to help the little guy get ahead, what's going to help the small businessman, what's going to keep them safe, what's going to keep food on the table, to look at them, putting all of their time and effort into one solo mission, which is to make a mountain out of a fucking, not even a molehill. What's smaller than a molehill? An ant's dick, a little ant dick jerking off inside the molehill? Because that's what these fuckers are trying to make into impeachment-worthy bullshit. And you know what? They did. Because anything is impeachment-worthy because it's so broadly defined. But we know that the original framers of the Constitution didn't have this in mind. And we know that it's happened time and time again throughout history. And frankly, if we're going to be giving money to a country, I don't want any cash to be given, but I'd rather we get something for it. I'd rather it not simply be throwing money out of a helicopter like a goddamn billionaire, Richard Branson style, or Mr. Burns style, if you prefer that, throwing silver dollars, <laughs> silver dollars out that lodge in people's heads. Just, it is, it basically, if nothing else, and I already thought Trump was going to win. But if nothing else, this absolutely assures that he will win. Independents hate this move. The GOP obviously hates this move. And libertarians, I get it. We want him impeached for many, many things. But he will not get called out for those things. You need to oppose this impeachment because it is frankly absurd. It is, it is, it is basically giving over to the basest evils of democracy, wherein the party in power, as voted in by the majority, right, 
If they get a majority stake, then they can now do whatever they wish. That on its face is fucked up. We need to have some decorum. We need to have some semblance of logic and reason here, which is why I absolutely oppose it. While I might be for it for several other things, the war in Yemen, uh, the way that Trump has gone about handling the border wall, the way Trump has handled the fucking budget, the way Trump handles free trade, which I'm going to get into in just a minute, the way Trump handles uh, imminent domain, the drug war, which he seems to, to not be in favor of ending. I could go on and on. But this bullshit, I don't fucking care about. And none of the other things that he's done that I do care about will be brought to the forefront for this. They'll dwell on Russian collusion. They'll dwell on Ukrainian influence peddling. They'll dwell on everything else. They'll try to push him out if they do. And, and again, it's no chance of succeeding. None. But this does not help us and our cause in any way. Raw emotion fucking you know grandstanding bullshit does not help libertarians it's not the way that we communicate number one which tends to be in reason in facts in outcomes in opportunities not in going out there and saying the sky is falling i mean for fuck's sake nancy's pelosi said that this was going to be the end of the civilization literally this is a quote civilization itself is at stake if trump wins re-election can you get any more grandstandy, chicken, literally bullshitty than that statement? This has to come to an end. These people have to be dealt a nice big punch in the face, metaphorically. <laughs> not literally. Not for punching Nazis. I'm not for punching progressives. Well, these people need to be taken down. They need to know that what this is standing for, that all of this nonsense that they're trying to accomplish, this is not the way that you do it. What needs to be done is to have people come back to the senses, sit down, talk things through, stop demonizing other people, stop creating lies, stop creating plots out of thin air. Now, granted, I do love plots out of thin air. You can listen. If you join the Lions of Liberty Pride, guys, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, we go into conspiracies on the reg with our Conspiracy Corner show. A uh, very fun time. But those are good conspiracies, goddammit. Not this nonsense talking on the phone with the Ukrainian president conspiracies. Now, the Democrats, they they didn't get woken up when Trump was elected. I just want to see if it ever happens. I want to see if, if they're ever going to be shaken out of their stupor. You know, in Los Angeles, I'm seeing it kind of happen. I'll tell you that. It's shocking, but I'm seeing it slowly happen as the homelessness gets to uh, record levels, as we see the taxes continue to rise, as the middle class continues to be squeezed and crushed, as the education system continues to fail. People are starting to wake up here. If you're living in a cesspool and you haven't always lived in a cesspool, probably the idiots who have just, you know, they're, yeah, I love LA and I was born and raised here and I'll never change. Maybe if you're like that, maybe then you don't realize that like the boiling frog of cesspools here in Los Angeles, maybe then you don't know. But I'm telling you, everyone else that has seen it as it could have been, as it once was, who has come here from another place and realizes this is not the way. This is a failing system that has been proven over and over again to be completely devoid of benefit except to fill the pockets, to expand the state, to enrich the people that keep continuously 
selling us a raft of bullshit and creating problems that have no solutions. And this homeless problem, by the way, is a problem that they know does not have an easy solution. Thus, it is the perfect quagmire. It's the best tar baby for us all to get stuck into trying to fight this thing when we know the most effective solution is the libertarian solution. It's not more money from the government. It's not more regulation. It's not letting these people live on the street wherever they want, expanding towns. Well, you think, you know, from a libertarian perspective, you'd think maybe we'd say, oh, yeah, these people should get to live wherever they want. No, 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 no. Private property and property rights. These people do not have the right to live wherever they want. They don't have the right to block our ways to to, throw garbage on the streets in front of our houses. And the way to solve this is not by simply saying, here's money, I pity you. Because that does not aid anybody. You need to get to the root of this. You need to find out what the causes are. You need to find out where, you know, why they continue to come. You need to stop the easy life of here's a handout. I don't expect you to do anything with it. You need to address this issue and say, look, get up, get out, make something of yourself. I will aid you in the ways which will aid all of us. It's not a one-way street. It is a mutual free market solution to this in which you provide something, I provide you something. I just saw a recent news story where a man's going around, he pays homeless people to clean up the streets. Great. And this is a private thing. This is not a government thing. There you go. There's an easy solution. But to simply say, well, you know, these people, they're, they're homeless. They don't, have time. They, don't have, they don't have money for housing. They don't have money for whatever. Let's give them free housing. Let's give them free food. Let's give them free whatever. Doesn't work. And you're seeing that play out in real time in places like Seattle and places like Los Angeles. Los Angeles has spent $1 billion a year trying to address homeless. Actually, I'm sorry, not a year. It's been $1 billion so far. I can't remember the exact time frame. Hasn't done anything. Homeless population keeps increasing because they make life easier for them. Look at Seattle, which increased, I think, or no, San Francisco. Spent something like $400 million a year. Homeless population keeps increasing. Circumstances for the people living everywhere keep getting worse. Taxes keep going up. The simple thing is to say, how can we help? And the best way to help is by deregulating the economy, deregulating housing, deregulating the ways in which people can interact, to have commerce, make it easier for people to find a place to sleep, make it easier to find a place to eat, make it easier to find a place to live. And you do that by getting government out of the way. This is universal, not just talking about Los Angeles, but anywhere you want to go. If you get the government out of the way, everything functions far fucking better. Oh, God. Sorry, I'm going off on tangents now. All right, one more thing I want to talk about just as far as Nancy Pelosi, right? So at the same time they impeach Trump, they sign off on a trade deal. (laughs) The new NAFTA, right? The new NAFTA deal just got signed off on. And Nancy Pelosi is uh, issuing a statement saying, oh, that's just great. Now, this is not called NAFTA. Uh, It is called the USMCA. What does that stand for? The United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. Now, as you know, uh, NAFTA was a North American free trade agreement, which was hilarious uh, for a name. But this is uh, between US, Canada, and Mexico. And as you would expect, comes with some shit that's going to piss you off. Because primarily... While it's supposed to be about free trade, it really isn't. All it is is about removing barriers to free trade, which we have established and other countries have established. You know, I was listening to a recent episode of um, Contra Krugman, and, you know, we got Bob Murphy talking about, uh, and Tom Woods, of course, talking about how 
every time these people, you know, they, they get pissed off because Donald Trump would give an exception to a company, right? They say, okay, you're accepted from this tariff. You can, you can get around it. You don't have to deal with it. And people go, well, that's not fair. These other companies have to pay it, which I agree with. But I also side with Bob Murphy here in that I'm for every exception. <laughs> so it's like I'm for any tax break. If the company says, look, I can't survive under these tariffs and you give them a tax break, good. That's one less boot on someone's throat that the government's providing. So all the boots off. But here with this, this agreement, it's still a little bit sketchy as far as the details. However, we know for a fact that the auto industry is probably going to get a little bit more expensive for us. For example, rules of origin uh, is something that applies to cars built in North America. And to cross the borders tariff-free, 75% of the materials value within a car or truck has to be produced in North America. Now, that means that if we want to get cheap steel from China or cheap steel from any other country, we can't do that. We got to get it in North America. So... That means that we're paying North American prices for labor. We're paying more North American prices for uh, everything that goes into creating the steel. And, you know, it raises the question of whether or not it's like a 2.5% tariff or tax on importing cars from other countries. You do wonder, and this is something that was brought up in a Cato's, uh, Cato article, you do wonder whether or not that's going to impact domestic manufacture, where they go, you know, it's just cheaper to import them. You know, instead of paying these crazy union wages, instead of paying all this cost for steel production, instead of paying for all of these different parts to be made here in America where it all costs more or made in North America. And Donald Trump was also pushed to raise Mexico's minimum wage to $16 so that they become competitive, quote unquote, competitive with the United States rather than, of course, keeping their advantage with cheaper labor to provide a specific type of product to our society in which everybody wins, the Mexicans and American consumers, instead of just a very small component of our economy being the auto industry. But the end result of this might be that it just costs way too much to make cars here. And that people find it's just easier. Ford might say, you know, it's, it's easier just to output all this shit to the Philippines. We'll pay the 2.5% because we're paying 25% to manufacture all these foods and products here. So in the end of the day, it might come back to screw us even harder than we've already been screwed manufacturing-wise. Just foolish on its face. All right. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right. As you know, I'm probably going to take this time to tell you about Free Man Beyond the Wall from our buddy over at the Libertarian Institute, Pete Quinones. Uh, a Feliz Navidad. Early Feliz Navidad to you, uh, to Pete. Um... I don't even know if he uh, celebrates Christmas, but I think everybody celebrates Christmas, right? Yeah, in some way. I, I my, Two of our strongest Jewish friends love watching every Christmas movie. <laughs> it's like their favorite thing to do. Anyway, that's either here or there. Free Man Beyond the Wall, where it's always white like Christmas, guys. Check out this podcast, hosted by the one and the only, formerly known as Mance Raider. And Pete goes in, you know, has some fantastic guests. There's some really fantastic interviews, and if you know anything about the man, you know he knows his stuff. He is a true libertarian to the core, and uh, it has a funny guy as well. He makes some of the best liberty memes you're going to see out there. He is managing editor of the Libertarian Institute, writing articles on the reg about the topics of the day, and of course talks about them on his podcast with his lovely guests. So make sure to visit him, listen to him, go to freemanbeyondthewall.com, or Find Free Man Beyond the Wall anywhere podcasts are heard. 
All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 154. <laughs> Calm down a little bit. That I don't even know. I, I just, guys, when I'm in like this mental state where I'm like, you know, you get amped up. Like I said, this event earlier today, like all amped up and tired and you get like a manic energy. And I know I usually have a sort of manic energy, but I've got extra manic energy now. Hard to keep my thoughts going in the right direction here. It's more like a tree rather than a, a road. You know, it's like a, many tributaries off of a river here rather than a nice bubbling brook. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, this Donald Trump has put forth uh, uh, basically some rules trying to force the uh, or having the Department of Health and Human Services force hospitals to be transparent in regards to what their negotiated rates are with insurance or, uh, insurance providers. Now, to me, this seems like a wonderful thing. As you know, we've had many healthcare providers on the show, including, by the way, if you are in between your healthcare, if you want to find a cheaper, better option, we have had an ongoing relationship with Health Excellence Plus. And you can find out more information there by going to lionsofliberty.com forward slash health. Mark just had the founder of the company on, did a great uh, interview with him. Uh, anyway, getting back to the main topic here. Trump is trying to compel these, these hospitals to reveal and be more transparent about the cost behind the wall. Because as you know, you go to the hospital, you don't really know what anything is going to cost. And a lot of the time, these people have independent contractors. You know, only Kaiser Permanente, I think, has full-time employees that are doctors. So they probably have a little bit easier time telling you Otherwise, if you have any sort of medical procedure, as you know, I had back surgery. Uh, I got 17 bills from 17 different people ongoing. You know, so you, it's hard to tell. So he's trying to compel them to say, look, this is what it's going to cost. Make things easier. And, you know, I'm a big proponent, proponent of that. And you've had doctors on our podcast before, primarily on, on Mark's Lions of Liberty flagship show, talking about how transparency is key, how the doctors – they run their own shops. They say, here's what it's going to cost. I'll tell you right up front, right now, you know, you come in, it's $25 to see me, it's $50 for whatever. So in general, I'm all for this. However, as a libertarian, I can't help but side with the American uh, Health Association. I believe that's what they're called. The AHA is who is fighting back against this. Yeah, American Hospital Association, of, and among other groups, are arguing that the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services rule violates the First Amendment by provoking compelled speech and reaches beyond intended meaning of standard charges. Uh, and I guess that is according to the Affordable Care Act. So they're fighting against it, saying, you know, you can't force us to reveal our pricing to people. And I have to say, I, I kind of agree with them. You know, it's like as a private company, I don't want to be forced into doing that type of thing. However... If you are dealing with government money, especially when we're talking about Medicaid and Medicare, if we're talking about a government entity that says, look, as a cost of doing business with us, this is a rule that we're going to incorporate. Well, then that does not violate the First Amendment. That does not violate any sort of speech. That is simply an agreed upon contractual mandate. I mean, it's just like if you're going to business with a contractor you want to go and now, granted, maybe that's a sore spot because you know, contractors constantly change things. But typically, you get a quote up front. You know what you're paying. It's only the medical industry where you go in and you have no clue what anything's going to cost. You don't even get a quote. You don't get an estimate. No other industry operates in this manner. And I'm sorry, while you're saying it's oh, it's unconstitutional because it's the government compelling you. Why is the government in this instance? If you're if you're talking about 
monetary exchange, if you're talking about exchanging a service for payment, why should that be any different from anything else? So clearly there's something to be said here for this transparency rule. Now, they're also arguing that it's going to cost the, increase the cost to consumers because they say it'll cost some $40 million a year for all of these different hospitals added up cumulatively to be transparent in their pricing. You know, to me, honestly, when we're talking about the healthcare industry, we're talking about $40 million of a goddamn budget that's in the trillions. I could give two shits about that. And also, I have to think that the overall costs are going to come down once this transparency is put into place. I mean, this is all a shell game that these people are playing, saying, oh, but you see, it's going to have horrible ramifications for you if you do this. This is all bluster. This is all just trying to put up the smokescreen because they know that once that kimono is pulled back, people are going to see that Buffalo Bill has tucked his dick between his legs and is dancing around. I don't know if you watch Silence of the Lambs, but that's a reference for you people that have. So I got to say, even while, you know, part of me says, ah, I don't like the compelling, uh, you know, I I agree that they shouldn't have to do it. I'm sorry, you're signing a contract. You're signing a contract with the government. And while the government isn't somebody that I'd say is not an entity that's my favorite entity, it still represents a large portion of buying power. And they should be able to mandate that you show them what prices they are paying for things in advance. And what prices the people that are using that service are paying in advance before they go in to do uh, to do whatever medical care they need done. So fuck you, AHA. Fuck you right in the goat ass. And of course, the other benefit of this is that if they start making tra- uh, prices transparent for the Medicaid and Medicare people, as is mandated by this rule, of course, everybody else is going to say, well, we want to see them too. So all of us win in the end. And then we finally start to get some competitive pricing. We finally start to get some insight and see what these insurers and these hospitals are are really combining to do. We get to see how they are benefiting from each other at the expense of the consumer, or more likely, government. But either way, the government and insurance are all tied in with the same cronious game as our hospitals. I've said this before. Hospitals typically have monopolies over certain regions. They are given these monopolies by virtue of getting to vote on whether a new hospital is allowed to be built Yes, you heard that right. They get to vote on whether a new hospital can be built there. And if you're another hospital, why would you vote for an extra hospital to come into your place? Even if there's a little bit too much business for you, better to be busy, right? So, yeah, screw them all. All right, next, let's talk about, here's a little fun one. Uh, This is a goofy story, but Anthony Hopkins, he was recently interviewed on uh, a movie called The Two Popes. And he was in a conversation with fellow actor Brad Pitt in Interview Magazine. And he was asked, he's, well, here's a quote. I'll just read the quote. I guess they asked him about, you know, talking about things of people, about current events. And he said, people ask me questions about present situations in life. I say, I don't know. I'm just an actor. I don't have any opinions. Actors are pretty stupid. My opinion is not worth anything. There's no controversy for me, so don't engage me in it because I'm not going to participate. <laughs> Uh, to that, I say, God bless you, Anthony. Sir Anthony, now we see why this man was knighted as probably one of the wisest men in all of Britain for knowing that sometimes the best thing to do is just to shut the fuck up. Know what you don't know. Granted, I don't take that. I don't take that advice. I mean, Christ, I talk about things that I know very little about all the time, but I have strong opinions on them. 
However, I still think I know more than most actors. And living in Hollywood, actually, I can say, assuredly, I know a vast amount more than most actors. Uh, but yeah, Anthony Hopkins, man. Gotta, gotta love A-Hop coming out that way. Oh, shit. You know what? I just remembered. I just remembered that I forgot. Remember that I forgot. Uh, to mention one quick thing. When I was talking about the FISA warrants earlier in regards to the Inspector General's report, where they said that, yes, they were right to investigate Carter Page, even though it led to nothing. However, the way they went about it was riddled with abuses, despite uh, Andrew McCabe and James Comey saying, oh, they're vindicated. Now, the good news to this is that the FBI is going to be audited to see how frequently they abuse or mislead or just plain out lie in these FISA warrants. Quote, Given the extensive compliance failures we identified in this review, we believe that additional Office of the Inspector General oversight work is required to assess the FBI's compliance with Department and FBI FISA-related policies that seek to protect the civil liberties of U.S. persons. Accordingly, we have today initiated an OIG audit that will further examine the FBI's compliance with the Woods procedures, not Tom Woods, I presume these are other Woods procedures, in FISA applications that target U.S. persons in both counterintelligence and counterterrorism investigations. That is delightful. So instead of simply getting rubber stamped, and I can't remember the exact stats off the top of my head, but something like 98.99% of FISA warrants were approved. I think there was something like, you know, 900 approved and seven rejected. Finally, we're going to see some investigation into what these people are doing, why they get to do these things in private, the nature of them, wherein the judges simply rubber stamp. They say, okay, sure, yeah, you're the FBI, you're the CIA, whatever. Oh, sure, let's go ahead with it. You must have a good reason, right? You must have a good reason. Now, do I believe that this is going to actually cease the abuse of these FISA warrants? Probably not. Knowing the nature of government, probably not. Knowing that the FBI is viewed as important by most people in power, probably not. But at least it's good that there is some nod to it. And I'm very curious to see if the Office of the Inspector General follows through with it. And actually, I'm going to write on a little post-it note right here. Maybe I'll do some actual journalism. Me, your good friend, Brian McWilliams, and I'll call and check in on the office of the inspector general and ask them just how that is going. Check. Writing it out literally in real time. Call OIG. Check in on FBI FISA warrant investigation. Now, I may be told to go fuck myself. I might be given the runaround, but it will be interesting to see. And that'll be fun to chronicle on Electric Liberty Land. Just what the response is. As I try to give them a call, let's say every month, we'll check in. And you know, guys, I guess I'm not technically allowed to record it, but maybe I'll tell them I'm recording the call, see if I can record that that call, maybe with a Skype program or some sort of, maybe on Zoom, I can call into them. We'll see if I can get that audio. But I, I think this will be a fun adventure for all of us, don't you? <laughs> Who's watching the watchers? All right. So uh, that tangent aside, we'll get back. What was the next thing I was going to talk about here? Uh, oh, I wanted to talk about ExxonMobil, and yes, I'm still going to get to the porn, by the way. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the porn. I don't know why we're talking about the porn, but I'm going to get to the porn. We'll finish the episode up with porn in case you let your children listen to my 
curse-filled episode up until now. But, you know, I like to talk about the climate. Not that I am necessarily in the camp where I think that the climate is not changing. It may be. (laughs) I just don't know for sure if anything we're doing has a definitive effect on it. Uh, And I haven't seen anything to change my opinion of that quite yet, nor, well, I'd say definitively my opinion has not changed on the fact that I don't feel the government should be compelling people to adjust their uh, everyday lifestyles. And last episode, you know, I went on about my experience talking climate as well and how human ingenuity will take care of a lot of it. But I do take pleasure in the fact that ExxonMobil was cleared of a goddamn ridiculous lawsuit by Attorney General Eric T. Schneiderman out of New York State, where he brought ExxonMobil, brought charges against ExxonMobil, saying that the company was lying to its shareholders about what it knew of the risk of climate change to its future profits. And this, of course, is all wrapped in a pretty Christmas packaging of the rabid, insane left, and naturally, you know, the government in New York is, is fairly left, but the rabid left trying to paint the oil companies as monsters that are raping our children's future that have been blatantly lying to our faces about the effects of climate change and that any sort of money thrown into their own um, research into the effects of climate change or any doubts they might have expressed as to the effects of climate change were clearly done with the utmost disdain for human life rather than just saying, well, you know, there's of course research being done on both sides It is in the oil company's best interest to research into studies that might debunk climate change, considering the fact that people are blaming them and them alone rather than taking in all of the factors. So I take great pleasure in the fact that this man was slapped down by Supreme Court Judge or Supreme Court Justice Barry Ostrager, who ruled today the office of the attorney general general failed to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that ExxonMobil made any material misstatements or omissions about its practices and procedures that misled any reasonable investor. So there you have it. The oil companies shall not be getting sued for hundreds of millions of dollars, and the uh, climate activists will have to cry into their recycled toilet paper once again, uh, knowing that little Greta Thunberg will live another day, but so will ExxonMobil. So good on that. All right, next up, let's talk about this. This I huh, this story, God damn it. So those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that Anti-War has done a great job reporting on this, and as have several other sources, but the war in Afghanistan has long been a, it's been a, a well-known secret that it's not gone as well as predicted. It's not gone anywhere near the narrative that the government wants us to believe. And there have been very high-level people that have come out specifically saying that in Afghanistan, the story they're telling you about victories is completely overblown. The fact remains that when you're on the ground there, when you're in a town there, the people don't want you there. And as soon as you leave, you might think that you've taken back a province. You might think that the local government's in charge. You might think that, okay, the Taliban or whoever has been defeated. Never mind that we're there under the context or the pretext of fighting the people that attacked us on 9-11 when the true enemy would be Saudi Arabia, where all these people came from, who, of course, is still one of our closest allies, right? Even though a Saudi national just shot up a naval base in an exchange program we have with Saudi Arabia. Wow, guys. Well done. Let's keep that relationship strong, huh? Go touch another fucking glowing globe. So, anywho, 
Now, the Washington Post, in a, in a shocking display of competent journalism for once, because, because as we know, democracy dies in darkness, <laughs> which typically is them shining a flashlight on the aforementioned uh, ant masturbating in a molehill. But for this one time, the Washington Post obtained a cache of documents about Afghanistan. These are reports about senior U.S. officials knowingly lying to the public about process on the longest U.S. war, the 18-year-plus war in Afghanistan. Now, the way this came out is uh, in individual interviews as well as reports wherein we're seeing data points altered to present po- the best possible picture. This is from uh, a quote from Bob Crowley, an Army colonel and uh, senior counterinsurgency advisor. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable, but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and became a self-licking ice cream cone. <laughs> ah, man's got away with words. It's like, uh, like the guy in Full Metal Jacket. Suck a golf ball through a garden nose. Those military men, they have a way with, way with words. Retired Lieutenant General Douglas Lute said in 2015, another top advisor during the Bush and Obama administrations, told government interviewers we were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing. Now, one of the things that I want to highlight here is what I just had mentioned, that here's an interview from SIGAR, which is the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, which is the uh, organization that conducted these interviews, which were subsequently uncovered by the Washington Post. They say, for example, one 2018 report said the U.S. strategy was not properly tailored to the Afghan context, and success in stabilizing Afghan districts rarely lasted longer than the physical presence of coalition troops and civilians. Now, to elaborate on that, because this is something I talked about, I think, two years ago, to elaborate on that, what one of these senior generals said was that basically what would happen is that coalition troops would go in, they would either establish a, a base or they would take back an occupied sector of land in Afghanistan from the Taliban. And then they go, okay, we're going to turn it over to these troops that we've trained or to the police that we've trained here to now maintain our rule and our rules and how, you know, the way we want Afghanistan to be in this city. And then they leave and they go to try to conquer another area or go to, you know, establish another region that the U S would have dominance in or the preferred government, which we put in place would have jurisdiction. So what would happen is that they would leave. And as soon as they'd leave, the Taliban would come in with their guns and they would go up to these, uh, these Afghanis and they'd say, Hey, okay, we're here now. So do you want us to kill you? Do you want to fight with us? Or do you just want to let us take it back over? And the Afghanis would say, we don't fucking care. This isn't our war. These people came over here. They told us how we want to be They, you know, we're, we're ostentatious or <laughs> ostentatiously ostentatiously they're in gold they're wearing gold medallions and uh and dmc tracksuits run dmc tracksuits ostensibly on their side but not really they are on their side for convenience because the united states has installed a puppet a puppet regime uh by taking this country over and half the people there agree with it and half people don't maybe more than half the people don't let's not pretend that they have western sensibilities here these people are afghan they've grown up being afghan they've grown up with a certain way of life we're not going to go in there and over the course of 20 years, uh, through violence, instill a brand new way of living and expect them to just take it. So these people have no allegiance to the United States at all. So the Afghans, the people would say, okay, no, that's fine, Taliban. We're not going to die for this. I'm not dying for America's 
war on terror. So it immediately gets taken back over. And this would happen time and time and time and time again to the point where we have not really made any progress in Afghanistan. And now, finally, there's public record of that. And now this is, this is going to come as no surprise to any libertarian. We know that the government does this over and over again. Look at the shit with Syria. And what is it? The OWPC report that came out that clearly states that there was no chemical warfare going on with Assad, that we fired all those stinger missiles for no good reason whatsoever, that Assad hadn't gassed his own people. And in fact, it was simply a false flag operation done by the people, the white helmets, right? that we fund. <laughs> but it's lovely to see this kind of report come out, especially when you've got people like Rand Paul calling out and saying, let's end this war. When Trump has publicly said he wants to end this war. <laughs> Maybe that's another reason the uh, Democrats are trying to get him out of office so fast. But Trump has been good on this one issue. And meanwhile, we've got him saying, let's get out of there. And the U.S. military officially is saying, oh, no, we can't get out of there prematurely. We're making all this progress, right? We're doing all this good. How we can't abandon, just like with the fucking Kurds, right? Just like with the Kurds. We can't abandon the good people of Afghanistan who fought along our side and need us there. Never mind, we left Syria, the Kurds, they're just fine. They, they, they made uh, alliances. They, they, they weren't slaughtered. They were just fine. I'm sure the people that are on side in Afghanistan would be more than fine with us leaving them the fuck alone and getting out of there, getting out of the country that they never invited us to come over and liberate, but decided, well, America's probably more powerful than the Taliban right now. So I'm going to go ahead and side with America at the moment. It's like if you're in prison and there's two gangs and one gang happens to be 400 pound gorillas and the other gang happens to look like scrawny Afghans. And you say, well, you know, for, for now, just at first glance, it seems like the 400-pound gorillas are going to win. But at the end of the day, a very motivated populace fighting off invaders, actually, they can do pretty well. And if you're just in the middle with no real allegiance to either side, who just doesn't want to get shivved in the shower, well, hey, man. Go with whatever, whatever gang is going to take you at the time, right? Never mind that also, you know, the United States is aligned with Afghan uh, tribal leaders that routinely rape small boys uh, and keep them as sex slaves. But, you know, why go into that whole thing, right? So this uh, story, again, you can find this, this Hill story and the original Washington Post. Uh, these are just some fantastic quotes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL154. But there's some just fantastic quotes in here. Uh, you know, one guy calling it just absolutely idiotic. Uh, this I like this quote. With the Afghan-Pakistan strategy, there was a present under the Christmas tree for everyone. See, tying in the holiday theme. Get that mug, guys. Taxation is death mug. There was a present under the Christmas tree for everybody. Says an identified U.S. official, told these government interviewers. By the time you were finished, you had so many priorities and aspirations, it was like no strategy at all. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Afghans, and Merry Christmas to all of us where taxes are paying this bill to continue to wage war, continue to murder and rape children here in Afghanistan, in Yemen, and numerous other places across the globe, which again is why we decided that simply saying taxation is theft was not enough, which is why the Lions of Liberty have, in air quotes, 
registered trademark because, you know, we don't believe in intellectual property necessarily. But that's why we decided we need to up the ante. I'd say that taxation is quite literally death because when your taxes are going to pay for wars against people that have nothing to do with any of us, that aren't threatening any of us, and for which untold human misery is being sowed in each and every one of our names using our money and could potentially have the blowback effect when these people finally decide that they've had enough. Well, hey, taxation is death. So I'm not ending the episode yet. I've got one more thing to talk about, but a merry taxation is death to all of you. And I look forward to seeing you all drink as I am out of our mugs. Mm. Drinking some Magnus cider right now. Delicious. All right, let's end on a high note, though, right? A happier note. And, and you know, it's funny to say, let's end on a happier note and then go into a story about Ohio, the most miserable place in the world. Of course, Rico is an Ohio resident. But Rico had nothing to do with one of the most glorious things I've heard. And I guess this happens more commonly than we're led to believe. But a New York Times article is talking about Emilio Ohio. Amelia, not Emilio. Emilio! <laughs> Amelia Ohio. Which decided that instead of paying a 1% income tax, which this village had levied on people, or levied on people, whatever you want to say it, without any public input, they decided to go to the polls and dissolve the town. God bless them, everyone. So the New York Times has a piece on this, and oddly enough, I am able to view it, even though it's from uh, back in November, but I had to talk about this story, which a big shout out to Chris Osborne, by the way, uh, our friend all the way out in the, uh, the Scandinavian countries, who was also one of our longtime supporters. God bless you, Chris Osborne. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. He made sure I saw this story. Uh, but it's from November uh, 26th, and the New York Times was covering it. So basically, these people, 1% tax, and they basically said, why the hell are we going to pay this? We don't know what it's from. We didn't vote for it. And even this guy, William Howell, a political science professor at the University of Chicago, says you would have this kind of violent reaction against the introduction of a 1% tax suggests a deep-seated aversion to government generally. But I don't think that's necessarily true. Now, that might be happening at a time where we're seeing more people distrust government, maybe because of the shenanigans going on with the impeachment saga right now. But also, if you're in this population of, of people in a smaller town, right, no matter what the tax burden might be, and, I, and you got to think that in a small town, it can't be that excessive. Or you can start cutting things. Like, this is a town they had seven police officers, and I'm not sure how much you know, square footage the town was, how many miles it was. They had seven police officers. They've got another layer of government, which is what people are complaining about. They go, you're adding 1% tax. Which, think about that. 1% tax on every resident, when you had no tax, that's a fairly large increase. And the mayor's saying, well, they voted us out. You know, it's America, you can get rid of your... Your people, you vote them out. That's democracy. But of course, he's for the tax increase. And he's positioning it as though this is a make or break. Like the, the town had to have it or it was going to go bankrupt. So the people said, like, well, screw you. Then we don't want it. We'd rather have no town than have a town that is run under this kind of tyrannical government that's, that's going to levy taxes on us. I keep saying le levy taxes on us. Eugene Levy taxes on us. It's going to levy taxes on us without any notice, without any vote, without any public hearing. 
Well, we'd just rather have no government at all. And of course, the New York Times goes, oh, well, the poor police officers are out of work. But as we've seen in places before, like San Francisco, any number of municipalities, you simply establish a private police force that can, be, that can police just as effectively as a police force that may or may not have been, at this point, if the, if the village was in dire economic circumstances, I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing a little bit of predatory policing, predatory ticketing, as we've seen in so many places. God, maybe they even got into a little bit of the old confiscation, you know? Oh, well, I got to take your car because you might have had some weed in the back trunk of it. So these people did the right thing. They stood up and they said, no, thank you. Now, the one downside of this is that, unfortunately, instead of going the full privatization route, which we'd all have loved to see, you know, privatized fire, privatized maintenance, privatized uh, roads, privatized police. Instead of doing that, these people have now globbed on to a larger municipality, which now is providing police services and trash services and whatever else. So some of the local people are saying, well, we're worried the response times won't be as great. Probably true. But such is life. You know, it's the, the two sides of the coin. These people did the right thing. They said, you know, we're being wronged here. We're, we're being taxed unfairly. We're not getting a say in how we're taxed or why we're taxed. So they reject the system that is taxing them. But instead of creating a new, better system for which they pay less taxes and have more choice and more freedom, the free market, ability to fire and hire as they please, depending on the service, instead, because we've been indoctrinated in this system depending on government and believing that only government can take care of these things, they've turned towards a bigger problem in a bigger government to take care of them. So I know I started this off on a high note, but I had to bring us down at the end because that's my way. <laughs> I like, you know, it's like, I'm like the opposite of a Hollywood movie that always starts off with bad circumstances, then ends happy. I start happy and then I just really kick you right in the nuts or the labia. I don't want to be sexist. So I know. Well, I really appreciate the town of Amelia dissolving itself over this, uh, this ridiculous 1% tax increase out of the blue. And uh, come on guys, the government's not the answer. A bigger government is definitely not the answer. You got to kick off that, uh, the shackles that our educational system has put on your brain. Kick punch. It's all in your mind. Parappa the rapper. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually ended this episode forgetting that I promised to come back and talk about porn at the end of it. I can't leave a, a, a promise like that lying. Man, that would be like offering to give somebody a hand job and then not fulfilling or starting it and just leaving it dry. So I don't know why, but I have seen libertarian Twitter blowing up with people, including Austin Peterson. Uh, I think, God, I can't remember who I don't want to, I don't want to randomly name, <laughs> name names of people saying, uh, you know, defending porn that may not have done it. But I, I, apparently there was some new movement to ban porn in the United States from the conservatives. And I, I don't know where this is coming from because I tried to Google it, right? I went in, I went into the Google box. I typed in conservative ban on porn USA 2019. I couldn't find shit guys. I really couldn't. I couldn't find anything on it. So I don't know why people are talking about this now as though it's a new thing. And, and please, somebody send me something. I should have. If I had any time, I would have posted in the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can join by going to Facebook and typing in Lions of Liberty Forum and then simply ask to join. You're going to be asked where you heard about the show. 
tell him a happy bald elf told you. Then you'll know it's me. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know where this is coming from. However, I do agree with the libertarian sentiment of no, you don't ban porn. Of course not. And any attempt to do it is simply like any other prohibition that's ever been enacted. What you're going to do is ban it. It's going to be made illegal. People are going to get arrested. People that download it are going to get arrested. People that watch it will be arrested. People that make it will be arrested. Never mind that everybody still wants it. Everybody still will seek it out. Instead of having porn online, you're probably going to have live sex shows now. So all these people, these theoretical conservatives that are trying to ban porn, or maybe they are real and I just don't, I couldn't find them. These people that are saying we need to ban porn. Okay. Let's say you ban porn. Would you rather have your kid seeking out, actively going to find living live porn? I mean, would you rather have uh, maybe having to do a little bit more parenting instead and have it be online there for him to learn about or she to learn about? I think like, you know, now, honestly, parents kind of get a free pass. I think most kids know about sex now before they're even told about it. And people say, well, but our kids, the next generation, they're going to be addicted to porn. And I know there are people that are addicted to porn. I know there's some people that are, you know, they have unrealistic expectations for porn and the unrealistic expectations for, for women, or maybe women have, they think everybody's got a giant dick that shoots come across the room. I don't know, ladies, you know, hey, tweet at me. I'm very curious to know. But those people are not the everyday person. I mean, most people still seem to function. We still are having children. We're still getting married. We're still living in, in, in our relationships. We're still having fun. It's not as though this is some sort of conduit to the downfall of society. I mean, if anything, we've seen that more reserved societies that tend to ban more things tend to go the opposite direction. I mean, look at Japan and Germany, for example. If you want to see some dark turns in porn, well, look there, except Japan actually bans people from showing the genitals in their porn. So this is why probably you've got a little bit more in the, the weird, you know, hentai tentacle shit happening. I mean, if you deny an outlet to a human being, it doesn't mean that that simply goes away. The urge doesn't disappear. It just gets stronger. It gets twisted. It gets warped. And it finds a way to get that. I mean, God, it's kind of like tying into the whole thing happening with, you know, kids online and getting brought into these underground communities where they're getting encouraged to shoot people up. I mean, if you deny people human contact, you deny people an outlet for what they need. And in those situations, it's camaraderie. It's probably friendship. It's, uh, you know, they're getting bullied. They're getting ignored. They're getting pushed away. Well, then they go and they have this, this other outlet, which tends to be violent. If you're talking about porn, well, you can ban it. It's still going to be found. And Probably what's going to happen is since you're a parent who can't seem to talk or control your child or uh, have a discussion with your child about porn and responsibility and how this isn't painting a real picture of the world. Well, your child's now going to say, well, eventually I do want to go find porn. It's not as though the concept of porn disappears. Instead, what they're going to do is seek it out. And they're going to go to the dark web and they're going to go find it in places where it's not out in the open where it might be a little bit more sick and twisted than you might like to see, because it's going to be in a completely open environment wherein people can just express their darkest desires. And, you know, whatever's up there is up there because it's harder to segment that. It's harder to find, you know, just you know, kind of your general everyday porn that a 15-year-old kid might find if he's got to seek it out on the dark web. Whatever he finds or she finds, maybe a Pandora's box that you don't want to open, but you are insisting that somehow this is going to have a better outcome. 
rather than strangling your child and driving them down a dark, dark path. And either way, look, people got to seek it out. It's not like you walk down the street and people are just fucking on, on TV in front of you. It's not like you got billboards of dildos sticking out everywhere. You still have to seek it out. There's still common decorum. It's not like porn is simply, it's not like the education system, for Christ's sake, where children are sent off to the porn academy like they are to the government uh, education institutions, the indoctrination institutions. I'd be much more worried about that. If a kid is interested in porn, well, maybe that kid is time to, you know, explore sexuality a little bit, learn a little bit about what's out there. I know I came into porn when I was in college. We didn't really have computers much. I turned out just fine. I watched a lot of porn in college. And most of the people I know watched a lot of porn in college. I know a lot of people, the younger generation now, they're still getting married. They're still living life. They're not twisted individuals. And usually where you see a lot of these porn problems happen is societies that are overarchingly male-dominated as far as population. You know, like the Japans where you've got more male than female and these people are just depressed and they find their outlet in video games and porn. But even then, it's giving them some happiness, right? It's giving them an outlet. I mean, everybody can enjoy a little porn, but certain people need that. They got to go into that because they might not have the option of having a real life outlet. So give them that. Otherwise, who knows what could happen? I mean, I, for one, firmly believe that people looking at porn, having more access to things that can give them some relief is probably going to help rather than accentuate the problems of society. I mean, Christ, I'll tell you as a man, you go a couple of days without relieving yourself, if you know what I mean. You know, things build up or having a little sex. Things build up, you can start to have some crazy thoughts. But porn, hey, helps you out. Relieve that pressure valve. And if nothing else, look, what people want to do with their bodies and people want to sell with their free time is up to them. And your moral high ground or your concentrated worry of what about the children shouldn't impact my life. It shouldn't impact those people's ability to make money. It shouldn't impact anything. You just have to step up and make sure that you talk to your child. If you have concerns about how your child's going to come out, maybe actually rely on your own abilities rather than saying, well, we have to ban this because number one, it doesn't work. And number two, that's just you abdicating your responsibility. Letting the government raise your child by virtue of you doing nothing and the government trying to ban anything that could get in the way of them becoming a contributing member of the state society. So, you know, go screw yourself and your porn ban. All right, guys, I think I'm going to wrap it up. This rambling, incoherent, less than reasonably educated and researched episode of Electric Liberty Land, which you idiot yahoos seem to enjoy more than others. I don't know why you seem to, I swear to God, every time I do an episode where I'm just drunk and rambling, people tend to like it more. I should just have an, I should just start a different podcast. But I don't have to, I don't have to get into all this deep libertarian philosophy and read all these news stories and know the statistics. I should just have a general podcast for all the yahoos out there. Blabbing about bullshit. Anyway. All right. So that's it, guys. Remember, listen to Mark Clear on Mondays with in-depth interviews of leaders in the Liberty Movement. We got John Odie Odermatt on Felony Fridays. He just had our pals Nick Picone 
from Sounds Like Liberty on, and of course, Ben Panji, the Liberty Hippie from Homesteads and Homeschools podcast. They were recently on uh, slanging some booze and talking to John going through an episode of Is It a Crime? So make sure to check that one out. And reminder again, guys, about our special holiday deal. Go to patreon.com. Little as five bucks, you can get a raffle ticket. You can get access to all of our bonus content for as little as five bucks a month. And $10, you get your Merry Taxation is Death mug. $15, Merry Taxation is Death and a sweet ass holiday. Lions of Liberty beanie. All right, that's going to do it for me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged in to Liberty. <laughs>